Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Als from Strata Central. Hey Rena. Hi Amanda, how are you? I am great. It is wonderful to have you here with me today to share our wins and our challenges for the week as we like to do every now and then on the podcast. How's your week in Strata been? Very busy at the moment, Amanda. I think um, COVID is really adding some challenges with tenants moving in and landlords putting a lot of pressure when there's an application for pets and the tenant won't actually sign until they um, know they can have their pet. We have to try and get quick approval from our strata committees who on the most part are very punctual. But of course, you know, they're volunteers. They've got day jobs and yeah, so and then you're getting three emails a day from the agent and phone calls and, yeah, it's been a bit challenging. So this is because landlords are so eager to secure the tenant that there's a lot of pressure on you guys to process these applications and make sure that they don't lose the tenant. Interesting. Yeah, and also the other thing that's been happening is that agents, I think, are overwhelmed or maybe they're under-resourced and someone's moving in on the weekend and then the Friday before we're told, oh, we need to lock off the lift and... We have to obviously get a deposit from them as well for some buildings where they have a bond for such um, move-ins and move-outs. And, again, I mean, at 3.47 on a Friday afternoon, it's really hard to, you know, arrange, you know, someone to put the lift covers up or the building manager to arrange that and the bond to be paid. So, yeah, this is in the last, I'd say, two weeks. I've had about maybe half a dozen such examples. Mm, Well, I'm sure there are many other managers out there listening in who are experiencing the same thing. Thank you for that insight. Let's jump in though, Rena, to the challenge that you did prepare for me today. I know that one's a challenge we've led with up the top, but I know there was something else you wanted to run past me for today's episode. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, this came occurred this week, Amanda, where an email was sent to our office because an owner had received an email from the building manager where they wanted access to their property to do some investigations, being water penetration around the building. And um, I just sort of looked at the email just very quickly and it said, oh, you know, like how do dare you send my email to this contractor, which was obviously a building manager wasn't the contractor. And don't you know the laws of privacy and you should know this. And, and I was thinking, whoa, like anyway, and then, you know, I realized that we hadn't done that. It was um, the strata committee who had done that. And they've obviously got a copy of the strata role. And this owner has consented to correspondence being received by email. So that obviously would apply to agendas and minutes. Now, we responded to say that, you know, we didn't do that. It was a strata committee. Then she obviously then writes to the strata committee. They have one of those email addresses where everyone can actually correspond with them directly. And so the owner wrote to the strata committee and says, you know, I'm surprised you've done this. You know that this is privacy, blah, blah, blah. And the strata committee, the chairperson wrote back and said, yeah, but this person's actually given us their email address on the strata role for consent to communicate by email. And so I wanted to actually run this past you, Amanda, because even though they can receive copies of agendas and minutes by email, does that mean that the strata committee are really precluded from actually sharing their email addresses with the building manager, who I don't really believe is a third party as such, but in terms of that building manager writing directly to an owner asking for consent for access? 
Okay, what is the address for service listed on the strata role? Because I know uh, strata managers in your systems, you have a particular field, if you like, in the Mm. electronic form where you fill in your your strata role and you put in there the address for service of notices. What is that for this owner? Um, It is actually a physical address. It's, I think the actual address is their apartment at the building. Although they, as they have consented to receive agendas and minutes electronically. Okay. And you get that consent by, uh, and I have seen you do this, Rena. you send out a form yeah. to any new owner and you ask them to fill it in. And I imagine it says uh, details for the strata roll, address for service of notices, and, and you have a separate question. Do you agree to receive agendas and minutes by email? I think we only refer to section 263, and I better have a look at that actually. And sometimes actually when we inherit schemes from other managers, they have a, what they call like a, an owner communication preference list or they call it, it depends on what software is being used for example strata master calls it an owner's list so it'll tell you the address for service of levies if it's by, to a physical address or by email it'll say address for service of notices and it'll have physical address or by email so in our form we, we refer to section 263 i think from memory up but yes I, yeah i think it is 263 i'm looking at that section now and that section in our new south wales strata schemes management act is headed service of documents by owners corporation and others and it applies to a notice or other document required or authorized under the act or the bylaws to be given by the owners corporation if you are serving a notice on the owner of a lot and there is an address for service of notices included on the strata roll, then the document should be sent to that address. If it's a postal address, you put it in the post or you can leave it personally with somebody who is above the age of 16 years at the address. And if it's an email address, then you send the email. Now, the question that arises is what are notices? You've said, Rena, this owner in particular has said that he'd like to receive agendas and minutes by email, but otherwise his address for service is a physical address or a postal address. Well, I suppose this probably comes back down to how the question is asked, Amanda, and and also how the Strata software and the, the Strata role is kept. So under the new legislation, even though an email address can be the only thing that can be an address for service our strata software won't allow that so we've had people where they haven't they've just given us an email address uh-huh. uh, and our software won't allow it and so that's the other thing that we've had to sort of face in terms of you mm. have a physical address but when we ask people to say can we send it to you by email i don't know if that then becomes their address as a substitute for the postal address because when we take on a scheme, the strata roles received from the prior manager. And we did have one particular where it's just an email address. There was no physical address. Yes. Well, Section 261 in our New South Wales Act expressly says that an address for service may be a postal address or it may be an email address. Yeah. So, so your software should be allowing email address only options for addresses for service. I'm surprised yeah. it doesn't do Yeah, that. so we have to actually put a physical address in, which is normally in our case is the address of the apartment, but then everything does go by email. So when people consent to receive documents by email, is that a substitute for? Yeah. I suppose the question in this circumstance is, was the building manager's communication a notice within the meaning of Section 263? Yes, if it was a notice that was being 
served on the lot owner, then it had to be sent to the address for service. And you're saying that that is a, a physical or a postal address. But the issue also, Amanda, is was this a query for access? So is that... That's right. Is that it's a, a communication. It's like, yeah. Is that deemed to be a notice? And is there, mm. if someone has given their email address and it's on the Strata roll as an email address to receive documents, which is service of documents noted here in under Section 263, does that mean because the email address is already on the on the system and has been used, even if someone was going to do a strata search and then someone just got that email address and then the building manager then communicates, is that a really a breach of privacy? Yeah, it's definitely not a breach of privacy because that owner has told you, please communicate with me by email uh, when you're sending me agendas and minutes. So yeah. that email address is, of course, on your records. They are the records of the owner's corporation and any lot owner or their authorised representative can inspect those records. I'm having a closer look at section 263 and it says that the section applies to a notice or other document required or authorised under the Act or the bylaws to be given. Now, a communication from a building manager to a contractor saying, please access this lot and here's the contact detail for the owner if you need it. Oh, no, he didn't actually include the contractors. He just said, I need to access your lot. He didn't even... So the building manager has emailed the owner saying, I need to access your lot, and the owner has complained that the building manager has got a hold of his email address. Yeah, and that basically that's a breach of privacy. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. And section 263, in my view, doesn't apply to that communication. It is not the email from the building manager to the owner is not a notice or document required or authorised under the Act or the bylaws to be given. 263 is for formal notices, notices to comply, for example, if there's a breach of bylaws. Copies of minutes and agendas, uh, of course, would be notices that are required to be issued. And for this particular owner, they've told you they want that by email, so that's fine. Yeah, that's what I think. Mm. Okay, well, that's what I thought too, man. I didn't think it was a breach of privacy as such. And I thought the building manager who is also under the Act allowed to perform certain functions for the owner's corporation, if that email address was on our, our role as being given by that owner for communication purposes, then, yeah, it wouldn't be. But I just wanted to check that before I made any any assertions and, and responded accordingly. Yeah, I think it's important to remind that owner that their address for service on the strata roll is as follows, and that is the address to which the owner's corporation will send formal notices and documents required by the Act to be sent to an address for service. However, you've also provided your email address in correspondence. You've told us the email address is fine for agendas and minutes. This was a communication in the course of the day-to-day management of the owner's corporation that the building manager was sending you. There is no breach of privacy. What I usually say is if you think there is please point me to the law, the case, the section of the Act that you believe has been breached. Yeah. It is a common misunderstanding and anybody new to the podcast may be hearing this for the first time, but others who've been with us for years now will have heard me say this many times previously. It is a common misunderstanding that there is some privacy in contact details in a strata scheme when it comes to owners and and their records that are held by the strata manager or the owners corporation. No privacy. You provide your, your email address, your contact details, your communications. They are on the records of the owners corporation entitled to be inspected and, and to in my view, to be used by employees, agents of the Owners Corporation to get the job done. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> Pleasure. 
Well, Rena, my challenge for this week also relates to the issue of notices. This is something that has been a bugbear for owners for a long time, and I'm surprised that it hasn't yet been addressed in our legislation in New South Wales. I'd be very interested to hear whether this is dealt with in other parts of our country. Do get in touch, listeners. Uh, what I'm talking about is the notice of an annual general meeting. There is no requirement in New South Wales for owners to be informed of when that date is going to be, when the agenda is going out. There is no requirement for a strata manager, for example, to set a deadline and inform owners that there is a deadline to submit their motions for an AGM. And it is often the case, I see it happen to owners, to clients, I'm sure you see it too, Rena, on your side, that owners will receive a notice of annual general meeting, the AGM's happening on this date, and they say, oh, I had no idea I wanted to propose something for the agenda, and I now cannot do that because the agenda's been issued. Why didn't they tell me? And when I tell owners there is no legislative requirement to inform or give the opportunity for motions to be added to the agenda, they're quite shocked. Have you had this experience, Rena? Yeah, we do actually. It's, it is quite common, um, Amanda, especially when strata committees don't meet regularly and therefore if they do meet regularly and owners do have to receive the minutes, they might see that, that there's a date that's been scheduled for an AGM. Um, more often than not, that is really doesn't happen in most buildings, especially perhaps smaller buildings that don't meet regularly. And therefore, your owners do get upset. And legislation only says that you have to have an annual general meeting once in every financial year now. So there's no sort of, you know, requirement even with the previous legislation where you had to have it at a certain time around the end of financial year. So definitely that is an issue. And I think legislation, maybe perhaps a current review might sort of make some suggested amendments where perhaps owners need to be told maybe, you know, a month before. Or, but sometimes the strata communities also don't decide these things to the last minute, even though, you know, the agenda's been prepared. And so they go, oh, can we hold the meeting in, you know, three weeks' time or even a month's time when we have to actually get something done, for example, or a special levy is required. Or sometimes there could be other factors that necessitate an AGM to be held very soon, obviously within the statutory guidelines and, and notice periods. But, um, yeah, it is actually something that has been happening. What I try and tell owners is, you know, if they do have an issue is to send their general meeting motion beforehand. So you don't have to wait to know when the AGM is coming up. If you have something that you do want to have considered by a general meeting, send the motion to your manager. Because we always make sure that people actually include an explanatory note of no more than 300 words. So sometimes there is back and forth even on that before the motion can then be put on the agenda. So Yes. So that is definitely what I advise my clients to. If they want something on the agenda, even if a general meeting has just happened, send your motion in straight away the next day so that you can be guaranteed it's going to be placed on the agenda of the next general meeting. Because if the owners corporation has your motion, they must put it on the agenda of the next general meeting. I'm interested, Rena, if they did change the law to say that there had to be prior notice given and an opportunity for owners to submit their motions, how would you as a strata manager feel about that? Do you feel that that that's just a, one more thing for you guys to do, to handle, and that you're also going to end up with agendas that are much longer perhaps because owners feel then that they're receiving an invitation to yes, contribute? definitely. I think it's one more administrative burden that strata managers have to deal with amongst the many others that we already are dealing with. And I think especially during COVID at the moment with the sense of urgency around so many things, I think that it would be really um, another burden that strata managers, you know, really don't require 
in, that's my personal opinion. On the other hand, if an owner does have an emotion they want a general meeting to consider, and it, it say it's a renovation bylaw, etc., manner they you know they can ask the strata committee to convene that meeting on their behalf or the secretary, and they might have to pay for it. So again, a lot of people's rights are extinguished because of the fact that they didn't have a motion considered. It just means that there's a cost, which you know can be up to between depending on the size of the of the strata scheme how many people receive their communication again by email or or by post, you know, the cost can be between up to $500 to $1,000, even more if it's a large scheme where the majority of owners receive their agendas and by post, for example. Yeah. And I do agree that best practice is for strata committees to be having regular meetings and in the strata committee meeting, deciding when the date of the AGM is going to be, publishing that date in the minutes, and then of course, sending a copy of the minutes to all owners. That way, if the owners are reading the minutes, they have indeed been notified of the date that the AGM is due and they can get their motions in quick smart. Yeah. And that might be a better way of dealing with that requirement rather than having another notice being sent out and more you know, more letters, mm. more paperwork, just making sure that the writer committee has um, a committee meeting, you know, even if they just give an approximate time, it, it could be, that, you know, it could be the next three months or something. So that means it's a bit of a trigger for people to um, get their motions sent to us in time to include on the agenda. Yep. I like it. All right, Rena, please do share your win with us this week. Yeah, well, Amanda, you and I have discussed this on many occasions in relation to damage to common property from an insurable event um, resulting from lot owner property, such as a hot water system. So we've had this mm-hmm. discussion on numerous occasions and I wasn't aware as to why an insurance company would fit the bill when it was an individual lot owner's property that actually caused damage to common property and to other lot owners' personal property in most cases, especially in an instance such as a water leak. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to an insurance broker about this and the answer was that, first of all, a lot owner cannot insure for property that they don't own, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. But you can only insure yep. your own property, your own contents. You can't insure the common property because you don't own in common property outright. You obviously have an interest in common property, but it's not your property as such to insure. And then I said, oh, that's fine. Okay, I understand that. So but then how come when, you know, there's so much damage that's been caused? I mean, in the last one I had just now was $40,000 in damage, you know, floorboards, et cetera. This whole system burst and it was cascading down a number of floors below. I asked the broker, I said, well, how come, you know, the insurance company won't go after that owner and recover the cost, like any other insurer would say in a car accident where, you know, if someone um, goes after you, then they try and go after the other person through their insurer or personally if they don't have insurance. And she said, well, the insurer won't sue a lot owner because they are also insured under the policy. So it's like suing your yes. own client. Yeah, And I thought, yeah, that all makes sense. So for those managers out there and, and strata schemes who have asked this question and said, Rena, you know, how come we can't, you know, because our premiums are all going up because every time this happens, if a large claim occurs, especially if there's water penetration, it's resulting in higher premiums, higher excesses in some cases. And then now with the tight insurance market, it's actually resulting in only one, the incumbent usually offering terms for reinsurance. I think now um, for everyone out there, this is now the reason which makes perfect sense as to why the insurance corporation must submit a claim and why it's actually ultimately stuck with that cost regardless of who actually was the cause of the actual um, event. 
Yeah. So you're talking about the the building insurance policy, the lot owners individually are also beneficiaries under the building insurance policy together with the owners corporation. So yeah, I really like that explanation and a good way to to also be explaining it to owners who I know I, I sit on a committee in my building and I've been asked that question, you know, Amanda, why are we having to pay this excess and and shouldn't our insurer be uh, chasing the owner whose fault it was that their um, hose burst? And um, yeah, very good explanation there. Thanks, Amanda. At least I think, you know, now we can at least with some certainty when we are queried about this issue, we can sort of, you know, give a very plausible advice as to why the Owns Corporation is ultimately stuck with that cost. Yep. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that win. And my win for this week, well, I am reminding everybody that next week from Tuesday, the 15th of September, the Shared Space Summit is happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the world's first online summit for Strata property owners. It is the first time that I have done anything like this. I am super excited to have Rena joining me as well as a special guest summit expert. Expert. We have nine world-leading experts joining us for the summit, experts on community, on property and on law. If you haven't registered for the summit, you can do that absolutely for free over at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash summit. Rena, are you excited for Summit Week? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, Amanda. I think it's such a unique uh, way of actually holding a seminar and having so many different people with different expertise and having it in the format that you're having. And it's really a very unique uh, way of, of reaching out to all those people that live in strata and community associations. Yeah, the beauty of online is that we can bring in quite a few international experts. So we have Charles Vogel speaking on the art of community. He is from the US and he does a lot of work with the Yale Leadership Institute. We have Kat Carmichael from Community Associations Institute in California. She's wonderful. She is. I know you've heard her speak before and she has been a previous podcast guest. We have Dr. Alex Morris, who is in London. She's a behavioral psychologist and she's going to talk to us all about virtual meetings. We also have a few homegrown heroes <laughs> as well. <laughs> as I mentioned, Rena Van Oust. Rena, you're sitting on a panel with uh, Gordon Strait, a very experienced committee member, and we're talking all about renovations and value add projects few other familiar faces that you might see there and I do want to make sure that you know in the afternoons during summit week we will be over on the Facebook page debriefing hearing from you I would love to hear from you what you're enjoying about the summit what your key takeaways have been we will have live chat over on Facebook more guests joining me over there too it's going to be a pretty fun week. I've kept my greens up. I've been trying to get some sleep. I have been <laughs> preparing, building my stamina. It's going to be full on, but I am so excited. Well, I'm sure you'll be up and ready, Amanda, and I'm sure it'll be a fantastic event and I'm very looking forward to it. I'm sure many of our listeners are also. Yes. Looking forward to seeing you all there. I will put the link for the summit registration in the show notes under this episode. If you want to head over and make sure you are all registered during summit week, you will get an email from me each day during the summit in the morning, giving you the link to access the summit sessions. So you do have to be registered to grab that link. And then if you head over to Facebook and you search your strata property, you will find our increasingly popular Facebook page where you can join us for the afternoon sessions. 
Sounds wonderful, Amanda. Okay, well, thank you so much, Rena. I will let you get back into the crazy world that is Strata, solving problems, gaining some wins there that you can share with us in a few weeks' time. I'll look forward to it. Talk to you then, Amanda. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?